Hello, I'm Dr. Stephen Hassan with another episode of the Influence Continuum. And I'm very, very excited about this next interview with Catherine Spallino, who is the author of a memoir called The Bad Cadet, um, growing up in the Church of Scientology Sea Organization. Catherine grew up on a secluded ranch within the Cadet Org, the Church of Scientology Sea Org School for Children. I choke when I say Church <laughs> of Scientology, sorry. I, I'm, I'm not gonna call it a church too much more. I actually interviewed um, uh, Catherine uh, Larry Brennan, who was tasked by Hubbard to make it into a religion, oh, wow. and he like outed the entire fraud of it all, and uh, have interviews with him, and he later came out as Denise Brennan. So I have uh, uh, an interview with Denise before, unfortunately, she had a heart attack and passed away, but incredible interview. In any case, back to you. You were born in this cult, this horrendous cult that I learned about in 1976 from my friend Paulette Cooper, who wrote The Scandal of Scientology. I was outing the Moonies. She was outing Scientology. They harassed her unmercifully. I was an SP, even though I was like, what does that mean? Anyway, back to you, because <laughs> this is your, your book. So at a young age, Catherine began a journal to journal about your day-to-day -day life, capturing the thoughts and experiences of a child coming of age in a cult. Your background offers a rare opportunity to tell the story of hundreds of children who rarely saw their parents and were indoctrinated to become future Sea Org members with a billion-year contract for those who aren't that familiar with the Sea Org and Scientology cult. And you have left the cult. You live in Minneapolis with your husband, happily raising three rambunctious boys. And, um, and so really, um, I want to just, I don't know if you designed the cover. My husband but did. I, what's my that? My husband did. Your husband did. So I want to tell you my take as someone who was in the Moonies yeah. and got out 47 years ago. I would title it the heroic resistor. <laughs> yeah, I I think I wanted to do a play on words because the bad cadet, I am not a bad person, but it just seemed appropriate because I was bad in their eyes and it it's just kind of funny to me. <laughs> it's your book, it's your story and um I just want to say you are a heroic resistor mm -hmm. from very early on, I've interviewed other people who were born in extreme authoritarian cults who likewise resisted. And, you know, and they came out and thrived and wrote books and became attorneys and did all kinds of really, really cool things. Um, but for me, I'm always interested in just highlighting rock and roll. <laughs> This is me. Yeah. You know, and <laughs> screw them. Yeah. Um, so anyway, you're very cool. I'm very happy to meet you. My friend John Atak, who I adore and respect so much, uh, interviewed you and said, You got to interview Catherine. It's a great book. And I said, Okay, if you say so. <laughs> and here we are. And you get to my to be introduced to my audience. 
And I guess uh, there's more I want to add, but I want to give you, like, how are you doing? And tell people a little opening about what they should know about your life and what you want them to take away. Yeah. Well, thanks for having me. I was so excited um, when I heard that you would interview with me. And I have read your book. So, and I've learned it's Ah. so cool because uh, I just have to say really quick. Sometimes when people say, how is Scientology a cult? It's hard for me to break it down. And now I can. So thank you. Like, that's such a great skill and thing to have because the bite model, which I also printed out for myself, I'm going to put it in my office. It's like, it's so Mm -hmm. great to have this, to be able to show people exactly what is undue influence on somebody. And so I really appreciate that book. And I really enjoyed it. And I we could totally dive into your story at the Moonies because that was crazy. And then, and my story. But what, for me, going back to my book, um, why I wrote it was first for myself, but also because I thought I could write it. When I was young, I was aware that there was, I was in a very strange world. So there was a part of me that was like, this isn't normal. And I like to write and I read all the time and I read Anne Frank's diary and other memoirs of young girls. Obviously, Anne Frank's is devastating. Um, I'm I'm not comparing my life to hers at all. Um, But just the fact of... Do you remember how old you were when you read Anne Frank's diary? I was 11 11 or 12, like in that time. Um, Uh And But even before that, you weren't living with your parents Mm -hmm. and... My recollection is Sea Org people are not supposed to marry or have kids. Yeah. And your parents had yeah. you. So that rule happened in 1985. I was born in 1985. So the children that were already born, or it was a little bit after 1985, sorry, like late 18, late late 1980s, because there was a few other kids that were a little bit younger than me at the school. Right. So all of us, um, for those who don't know, I was not raised with my family by six years old. I My first memories are in a dorm and I don't think anything's wrong. I think nothing of it. It's just how it is. My parents are busy. You know, they're saving the world. Uh, my mom is to take care of the other children because she's a teacher there too. She's called a dorm mom, but she's not my dorm mom. She was with the younger children. And to me, that was totally fine. You know, quick wave to her. Hi, mom. You know, and then I would get to have the occasional Sunday. I would have Sunday mornings with my parents. And then uh, when I was eight, I was so lucky to be chosen to get to go to the ranch is how I felt. Yeah, in air quotes. Uh, Yes, air quotes chosen. And at the time, I did feel special. I was like, oh, I get to go to the ranch. And I went with my best friend. And we were now cadets. And we were going to be training to be the future executive Sea Org children of, or the Sea Org executives of the Church of Scientology. And um, I was thrilled to do it. And I started out there. And then as I grow older... And I start to not act as as they want, which is basically like a robot. Like you do your job, you do your studying, and that's it. And I I have a personality and I would get in trouble for talking back or I would have ideas um, of like things that were more fun. Like I didn't want to listen to this lecture from Elwin Hubbard. I'd rather go sneak off to the berm and hang out with my new boyfriend. This is when I'm 12. So this story, (laughs) this book is a bit different because it definitely follows me as a young child. How does a young child battle that, the normal urges of a child, of being a child and a person, but having to be in a robotic existence of a cult where you're told to be a certain way? So trying to fit a square into a circle. And how did I come out of that? 
Yeah. Yeah. So if, again, for my listeners, mm -hmm. I'm sure some of them are ex-Scientologists or are very knowledgeable because they, you know, know Leah Remini's mm -hmm. stuff or, you know, getting clear, going clear, uh, Mike Rinder, etc. Um, Scientologists believe that children are, are old beings, so they don't treat them like children. Mm -hmm. They expect them to act like adults, and that's something like Jehovah's Witnesses and a number of other authoritarian cults too. So that if a kid is crying or acting out like normal kid stuff in, in the JWs, they get corporally punished. But were you ever hit or spanked when you misbehaved? I was not. And I don't know if that was because, so I did know of friends that were and, and I, I didn't actually recall seeing it, but you'd hear about it. Like they got brought into like the closet and spanked. Um, I did not experience it, but I don't know if that's because my mom was a teacher there. So there was like a little bit of a. Maybe a little dispensation yeah. and protection. But I also want to say that, you know, kids are very resilient and they don't know what's normal. They assume what they're experiencing is normal, but it's really normal to spend years with your parents mm -hmm. like a lot mm -hmm. and that helps to develop a healthy sense of self and i listened to your interview with with john atak and and just listening to you talk about the joy of being a mom mm -hmm. it just it just brought out for me just how us parenting helps us to redo our own childhood mm -hmm. and fills in a lot of those emotional spaces that we we did have neglect uh, about but so you went from a dorm to a boarding school called the pack ranch uh and you were getting into trouble a bit being a kid and then you went to a boot camp called epf not the rpf which is what uh, adults are sent to in the cult rehabilitation project force. Mm -hmm. Well, children um, too will be sent to that. If you get in trouble in the CR, you get sent to the RPF. It doesn't matter your age. And they had a mini I version see. of the RPF at the ranch. So I went on that. It was called the ECG. Got it. So many, so many so terminologies. Describe that. Yeah. The ECG. Describe what it's like to be punished in Scientology as a young person. Um, it's very isolating. So they do what they can to make you be alone and to feel ashamed and shameful. Basically, for me, I wanted to skip out on Eleanor Hubbard's lecture and hang out with my boyfriend. And I got my <laughs> boyfriend got caught with a note and he ratted me out. <laughs> and that's normal. They all you write and the boyfriend on each was other. in Scientology. Yeah, too, we were Catherine? in the Sea Org Cadet got School. It. So he's training to be a Sea Org member as well. Um, and so they basically said, you're going to go, you're, you're out tech and you're out ethics is what the words they would use to describe me. And you're going to go on the ECG. And I got yelled at though. This is not done like calmly. I'm being right. screamed at and I'm 12 years old. And so then I'm on the ECG, which is these crappy trailers, like really long trailers in the field of the ranch. And they're like, pretty dilapidated and you're insider and I have to like study L. Ron Hubbard and write up all the thing bad things I've done and do extra work and I don't get to I no longer live in my dorm with my friends and they're no longer allowed to talk to me so you're isolated in that way so it's a mini version if they do this in the Sea Org as well they'll people will be on the RPF for mm. years it's the saddest thing they separate right. spouses 
In my case, it was a few months and it was, I wanted to leave. I tried to leave. And you'll read that in my book is how do they manipulate you so you don't leave? Every time like you're doing something wrong or you feel you've hit your bottom, there's a way that they talk to you or distract you in ways. For me, they were like, hey, how about we let you rejoin the group instead of moving, leaving the school? We'll let you rejoin the group actually. And I was like, oh, okay, maybe I'll give it a try again. So then I like rejoined the group at 12 years old. And it, and you'll see this theme in my book of how I keep trying to like, maybe I'm thinking about leaving and then I get manipulated or I talk myself back into staying, which is that thought control you talk about in your bite model. You'll, you'll see right. that conversations that I have with myself and you're just like the reader, I think can be probably get a little frustrated, like get out, but you know, and maybe, and obviously right. I well, do get out. I'm here now. <laughs> right. No, a thousand percent. So for me, you know, I'm a mental health professional as a, also a former Mooney who is trying to figure out what the hell did they do to me? And I was 19 when I was deceptively recruited. So I had like an identity to go back to. And what I've learned is what makes sense to explain it is this, you ha are born with an authentic self, but then the cult gives you a pseudo identity and the image of the cult leader and the ideology that kind of keeps you suppressed. But every once in a while, the real you mm -hmm. pokes out, right? And then they try to slam you back down again. Yeah. And I think for you, the device of writing a journal allowed you to have some perspective. Yeah, that's a great on point. On your feelings as the real you and the cult you and that that led to you, you know, rebelling so strongly the way you did. Yeah, that's such a great point. And you were saying how even if you're trying to get somebody out of a cult, if they didn't have a strong sense of self, that makes it a lot harder. Um, and that was really interesting to read about. Because, yeah, I, I have wondered, I'm like, what is it about me that made me want to leave? I was one of the first of all my friends. Um, the only one other that was in my age group, she was actually a year older, left before me, but I was like out there, out of there. My brother who's two years older and he came out after I left because he was like, wait, my sister left? I can leave too, <laughs> you know? So like, he was like, he was, I was 16, he was 18 when he left, um, which is cool. I think that's great that I <laughs> like helped kick, kick him in the butt to get out because like, Absolutely. But I'm telling you, I've met many people over the decades. Mm -hmm. There's something in their DNA that just makes them special. I don't think it's, you know, just environmental opportunities. Mm -hmm. I think there's something in your character that is really strong and that you were tuned into your conscience or your sense of integrity of I want to be with my boyfriend. I don't want to listen to that jerk, yeah. <laughs> you know, voice, the guy who they say is source with a capital S and they worship everything he said. Yuck. I'd rather have fun. Yeah. Like, good for you. Thank you. Yeah. And it's it's an interesting story in the sense that it's very young and naive. Um, and I have those sort, sort of thoughts and I'm going all the way through my teen years but I feel like mm -hmm. in that way, it's so universal. I've had friends and people I don't know now at this point who read it, who are like, I was raised Baptist and I was you. 
I was told I was too loud. I was too this. And like, or like, I'm not throw Baptist under the bus or anything like that, but just more any type of religion that was really strict, a strict household, um, that they can relate to this because I was trying to tell a, a tr- an authentic story of what it's like to be a girl when you're so controlled. And if yep. anybody reads this who is in a cult and they can maybe start to be like, wait, I get, I'm hoping they might start to think about maybe I don't need to be here and it's okay to leave if it's not something that's good for them. Yeah. thousand percent. So, um, when I first wrote Combating, the book you held mm-hmm. up in 1988, uh, it was one of the first books by a former member who was then trying to explain mind control and the bite model and everything else. And people were reading it because they knew the Moonies were crazy, mm-hmm. the Korean Messiah and the mass weddings to strangers and w- supporting Nixon during Watergate. Like people were like, yeah, I want to read his story. And then they're reading and it's like, wait a minute, that's describing my experience <laughs> in XYZ group. Yeah. And, and as you were correctly saying, um, a lot of people know how crazy Scientology is and how terrible it is. And to read someone's memoir like yours, and I, I know that it's very well written, uh, they can read and go, but that's just like my experience. Mm-hmm. And that becomes a scaffold for them to start reality testing and get out. Yeah. And I think that um, it's also so important for people to realize that people in Scientology think they are saving the world genuinely and they are not. They think they're doing right, even though there's a lot that's being done that's wrong. And like, I like I don't I'm, it's not meant to be an attack on Scientology. It's meant to be like, let's hopefully we can start to engage in these conversations. Let's say you have a relative in Scientology. Now you can kind of know where they're coming from, too. And maybe, I mean, you you have a great chapter in there about how to have these conversations. I would recommend it to anybody who's has somebody in a cult. It, it's so helpful because I'm like, maybe I should try this with my sister who I haven't talked to in six years. Um, but oh, oh, I I definitely so I have another book after combating called Freedom of Mind. Mm-hmm. I I can just move it oh, yeah. a little bit, and it's helping loved ones leave controlling people, cults, and beliefs. And it it outlines more techniques and strategies that I find works. But just because you are in, were in a cult that does excommunication, disfellowshipping, Scientology calls it disconnection, you know, shunning, getting, you know, telling members they can't talk to ex-members doesn't mean the ex-members can't make efforts to reach out mm-hmm. to their loved ones and. And a lot of former members are like, yeah, you're right. Like I said to some XJWs, you know, you your kids are not allowed to see you, but no one can stop you from standing on the street corner outside of their house with a sign. I love you. I miss you. I want to hug you. Yeah. And the kids will see it. Mm-hmm. It will create dissonance. Yeah. You know, the cult will try to suppress it. But you're showing up and saying, hi, I'm here. I miss you. I love you. Love to chat with you. Love to hug you. Because love really is the real deal. And cults say they love. Actually, I'm not sure Scientology has, I think Scientology is affinity and not love. Yeah. 
but most cults say they love, mm -hmm. but it's all conditional upon performance and being obedient to the rules and regulations and ideology. And that's not real love. Love is like beingness. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Right? And helping somebody through their, if they are having a hard time, you don't just shut them out or like not right. having, yeah, not having conditions. So like for me, my condition when I left the Sea Org and then was a Scientologist and then came out of Scientology. And that's a whole nother story of how I came out of the mind control. Because first leaving the Sea Org, I'm still a Scientologist. Because I was just trying to live a life, but I was like, I could be a good Scientologist and have a life at least. No, you can't. Right. <laughs> Turns out. So I that's a no, whole other story. Can't, no, because the programming. Yeah, exactly. And I start I was in the real world and really starting to see things and and um, you know, I was accused of being evil and a suppressive person because my brother was sick. I was the reason why he was sick. It was like I was the devil. And those moments were really eye opening for me and that helped me come out of it. But it's like it takes it takes so much time and um, forgot where I was going with this. Yeah, well, I want to just come back to you because I do know that your brother got cancer mm -hmm. and um, unfortunately passed away. And I do want to comment. I've met many people who are in Scientology who had symptoms and they were audited mm -hmm. and put through routines rather than sent to a doctor, <laughs> a real doctor yeah. who could diagnose and treat cancers. And so many people died because they were programmed not to trust doctors or they were told all diseases is, is, is manifested by you mm -hmm. and you can uncreate it by using the Hubbard methodology, which is crap and he died himself as you know yeah. um etc but i also want to say they always want to blame ex-members or somebody for why things don't work and they divert the attention that scientology didn't fix him didn't cure him so it's your fault mm -hmm. and and try to use it to blame you and what a horrible thing yeah it was very it was so horrible and it definitely opened up my eyes Really, it it's still I actually still only still took another year or so, and me realizing what happened, talking about it with my boyfriend, who was not a Scientologist, and that was really helpful. Um, because another thing with Scientologists is they report on you if you're saying anything negative. So I would have to any feelings you have that are negative, you then just self talk to yourself and you try to talk yourself out of them because you have no one to talk to. It's very isolating. So to have my right. boyfriend at the time listen and not judge me was really important. And luckily, by 22, I would say I was completely out of Scientology. Oh, I remember where I was going. So then even though I was out of Scientology, my mom was still like, buy these books, new release, buy this book. She would call me. I lived in Minnesota. She was in L.A. And I said, Mom, like, I am not a Scientologist, and I hope you can respect that. And she was like, well, and I was like, you know, I know that you grew up. I had asked her about her background. And she grew up in a Pentecostal household. Her her dad was a oh. reverend. Yeah. So very controlled. Wow. Yes. So and I had a conversation about that. And I said, so what made you choose Scientology after growing up in such a strict household? And she said she felt Scientology offered her freedom of thought. That was like the what they had sold her on. Which is, I didn't argue with her because that's, I just was curious at that time, 22. Right. So, but I was able to go back to that conversation. I said, you grew up in a household 
and Pentecostal and you decide to leave it and find for yourself what's true for you. So I'm using Scientology words that she would use. What's true for you is true for you as right. a Scientology quote. And I was able, and I'm like, I would like you to respect that for me, I need to find my own truth and I'm, I'm going to find it out on my own and we can still be together. And it worked like she was totally respectful and we still had this relationship. And I obviously had my feelings about the church, but I would not say anything about it because I wanted her my life. And she got to see my my firstborn when he was born and visited every year. And then I had twins. It was a really nice relationship. And my dad was there too, but I just, for some reason, my dad's just like my dad, but I just don't have that closeness with him. Um, mm-hmm. And my older sister as well, they would take time. And this is a big deal in the Sierra to take time a week off, two weeks off to come visit was huge. Like when my twins were born, I asked them, I was like, please, like everybody always is saying, when are your parents come coming? So like it's expected it would be out PR if you guys don't come. Like I know the key words that would make them feel. Yes. Using the cult lingo and and have them come. (laughs) Yeah. Right. And they will come and it was great. And then it all fell apart when (laughs) when my which is good for them. My other friends spoke out on Leah Remini's show and they're my best friends. Um, one of them is my best friend and another one was really close at the time. And just that, just that connection was enough for them to just cut me out. And it was like, it's the saddest thing in the world. Cause you're always like, but they would have never do that. And then they do. And I'm not the only one, me and my close friends who are all cadets who left all of their parents have disconnected for no reason. Like there's no ever, there's not really good reason unless, you know, somebody's like horribly destructive or something. But like none of us did anything. We were just connected to somebody who spoke out about the church. And that small amount of connection is enough to make them say no. And it's so sad because I know that she's not happy in reality. Like she's having to probably constantly talk herself back and be like, it's okay. I've lived many lives. That's probably something they tell themselves. They've had children before. So that's the type of mind control that they have over them is that they make it. Scientology makes it so it's fine for you to give up your children, just like that, with like a snap of fingers. Well, because they have this programmed pseudo-identity mm-hmm. through the t- training routines, which are hypnotic programming. And and I, I um, was on stage with John and Chris Shelton and Christian Zirko explaining how TRs are hypnosis mm-hmm. uh, on a videotape. I think it's up on John's channel. And the reason they disconnect is because they're programmed with phobias that if they disobey, terrible things are going to happen to them spiritually and they'll be responsible for the planet's exactly. demise and all these. Uh, they can't imagine you know, making choices and being fine with them that unless they are following the indoctrinated cult rules. However, there's this authentic self. And now that you, you've shared that she was Pentecostal, I might say that you can have a lot of fruitful conversations about the bite model and what she grew up in mm-hmm. that won't trigger her Scientology self Will empower her real self mm-hmm. and and asking her you know respectful questions from a, with curiosity might help her start to see how what she grew up in wasn't healthy at all mm-hmm. 
And then the the question is, you know, what is healthy? Yeah, that's such a oh, great point. Oh, healthy is choosing for yourself what you want to read, who you want to talk to, following your conscience, you know, uh, listening to your body if your body's not well, mm -hmm. like not trying to convince your body it's actually well, but finding out if there's a problem. Mm -hmm. a and... Um, you know, Mike Rinder was, you know, the former number three, you know, he was Sea Orc. He, if he could leave after 46 years, and that's what I said to him after I read his book and interviewed him, I'm like, you, you know, you've created the model for anyone can leave Scientology. Yeah. And I'm really hopeful, like, especially with how many people are speaking out on Scientology, that it's going to become easier and easier for people to leave and be able to talk about it. And also that something might shift in the church to realize that they cannot have this type of control on its members. I mean, it, so much has to change in the church, but if they can just start with little steps of like allowing family members to make their own choices and not creating this disconnection that's happening. I don't know, like, obviously that's a huge thing. They love all this control, but that's, I mean, it's, it's not supposed to be so a huge thing. <laughs> so it's one thing as a former member to hope you know, mm -hmm. and use that frame when you're interacting with parents or or siblings that are still in that maybe the church will reform mm -hmm. and become more, you know, acceptable. But in real reality, I don't think that they can change because they're so locked in. Yeah. And I don't to, know why I say uh, that. Like everything in Scientology is based off of what Elmer Hubbard wrote, which is all... Yeah. Phony. So. Right. I mean, even though Miscavige tries to rewrite history, yeah. John Atuck has done the definitive, you know, pulling back the curtains of the Wizard of Oz and saying this guy was a malignant narcissist mm -hmm. who took drugs a lot mm -hmm. and just was a pathological liar who abused almost everybody that came his way. Yeah. And and his technique when he's talking to members is just to, to use Hubbard's own words. Yeah. <laughs> he said this in this year, and he said that in this year. Which one? Yeah. Which one's true? <laughs> and then think about the possibility that both aren't true. Yeah. Well, and the fact that you can't question anything is always... Should always be the biggest red flag for anybody. The fact, like anything that you didn't understand was always go back to the text, find the word you don't understand. And nothing's explained because they just want you to think it's all in your own head. And you have to find right. out what's, why don't you understand this text? Because Alan Howard would sometimes speak in circles. And this is why I would get extremely bored listening to lectures. I was like, oh my gosh. And you'd be talking about something in the 70s that has no relevance to now. This is like on what's called right. the student hat lectures. Oh my gosh. There was and then you have to get word cleared on it and star rated. And like you like you're talking about like this methodical, like constant bore almost state of like boredom, which is almost hypnotic, probably. Well, there's a lot of hypnosis and a lot of people don't know study tech is mm -hmm. what you were just describing, where if you don't agree with something or you space out or so, you're told you passed a word you didn't don't really understand, look it up in the in the dictionary. And um, and it's a way of getting the cult self to program itself. And it creates the illusion of choice. Mm -hmm. 
it, it creates the illusion of control versus somebody, you know, telling you, you didn't understand a word. This is blah, 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 blah. This way it's, it internalizes into that cult identity. And that said, one of the biggest things when I'm working with ex-Scientologists, some who've left decades ago, when I'm sitting talking with them and they're using the loaded language of Scientology, I say, excuse me, are you out? Oh, you're out? Why are you still using the cult loaded terms? Yeah. And if you really want to recover, start learning actual words and stop using the cult's words and, and definitions mm -hmm. and reclaim the language because ultimately a healthy ex-member is not using the cult reference points at all. Yeah. Anymore. Yeah, for sure. Um, me and my friends do do it to each other as a joke <laughs> that we grew up with. Or like, but it's, we do it like, and again, I think we're owning it. Like, it's like, oh, you're not tone 40, like as a joke, like, because whether we like forgot to get gas in the car or something, and we're like, knock it off. But it's like, a, I don't know if that's considered harmful, but it gives us a laugh. So. <laughs> So I think laughing is a healthy response, but in the recovery arc, yeah. ultimately you don't even want to think yeah. what the cult oh, would yeah. say about any. I don't use thing. it in my day to day. Like this is more like when I'm on a girl's trip, we just joke around and use those words because it's just so ridiculous how we were raised and how we were put like little soldiers. And then, so it's like, a it joke. was ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> it was, it was horrible actually. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if you've read uh, sociologist Stephen Kent's article on the RPF as brainwashing. No, but I could definitely you... see the RPF being a big brainwash machine. It's like look it yeah. up because he did a really excellent analysis of all the brainwashing techniques that were being used in the RPF, and he's he himself has done expert witness things. Um, what else do we want to talk about? We have a, a bunch of time. Yeah. And, um, well, we, but I, I guess I, I want to come back to I, uh, this image of the rock and roll <laughs> heroic resistor yeah. and say, you did it, mm -hmm. own it, mm -hmm. be a role model to others who've been raised in authoritarian cults. Yeah, absolutely. You know? And I do believe in, in encouraging people to write out their stories as a way of healing because mm -hmm. it puts it on paper. You can see the younger you. Yeah. And it just helps you to heal so much. It really did. So when I would first write this book, it was um, when I was 20, 21, 22, when I was processing everything that was happening to my brother, he was sick in the hospital. And just writing about my childhood, it was something that I was doing. I was like, I would like to write this as a book, but I don't know how I would ever publish it because I don't want to lose my parents. So I was just doing it more for myself. And I was like, I probably won't ever publish it, but it was so great to do. And then after my parents did disconnect from me, I was like, I'm going to turn this into an actual book and being able to just go back through it. Because during that time when you do write, it does take you back and you do kind of process it. I would have nightmares sometimes, PTSD a little bit, wake up, oh my gosh, I'm in the sea org again, <laughs> like the worst. But by the last few years, they, they go away and I don't have as much like emotion about it. People are like, how come you're not angry? And it's probably because I wrote it all down and like I edited the book so many times. So it's like going through it, writing about it yeah. 
and um, working it, working through it all, which was really nice. So, yeah. Yeah, and I want to just comment because you talked about waking up with nightmares, mm-hmm. uh, and for me, this is a, a a normal symptom when people come out of an authoritarian cult, and it's your unconscious trying to work things out mm-hmm. and 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 get yourself free. And what I teach my clients, if they can come to me, um, you know, for some some tips or some guidance or help. Um, is you can deliberately rewire your mind. So for example, um, I'll share a personal story if I may. Mm -hmm. I was in the Moonies cult. I was like put in leadership role. I had no power, but I was in the room often when leadership things were discussed. And there was this one time where Moon, Moon himself said, when we take power in America, we'll amend the Constitution and make it a capital offense for people to have sex outside of the Unification Church and how we would be helping people by taking their physical bodies away from them because we could save them later in the spirit world. And as a, a devoted Mooney, I was like, yes, Father, great idea. Oh my gosh, yeah. Anyway, I'm out of the cult for years, and I'm Jewish, and I learned about the Holocaust, and this thing plagued me. And I did this visualization exercise where I was back in the room when he said it, and I said, you're a maniac. You're nuts. Mm-hmm. You're going to kill people? because they don't do what you want them to do, I'm out of here. And saw myself walking out the door and saying, come on, he's crazy, he's like Hitler, Get, let's get out of here. And I knew that it hadn't happened in reality, Yeah. but it was so liberating to my cult me who had agreed to this mm-hmm. crazy. And to be able to say, if I knew then what I know now, Here's how I would have wanted yeah. to react. Yeah. Including punching someone in the face if they were like being incredibly abusive and, you know, harmful. Yeah. Yeah. It's and it it's your mind, it's your life. You get to rewire your 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 neurons mm-hmm. um so that you're in your full self now, whole, and the cult you is in the past. And you've, as you said, processed all of these traumatic events. Yeah. Um, including neglect, mm-hmm. you know, like wanting to be with your mom and for more than a Sunday morning for an hour mm-hmm. and wanting her to sit with you and cuddle with you and tuck you in at night and read you bedtime stories and like the things I'm sure you do with your, your children. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, having kids now and i look then i'm like whoa like nobody was doing that for me that's sad i'm like it is sad i just don't really dwell on it because i'm here now and i'm just trying to do better for my children now and i think i'm giving them all the love that i can and yeah so i i'm processing but imagine you and your husband parenting you Mm -hmm. In your childhood and giving that love and nurturance and attention yeah, as you're giving attention to your kids Mm -hmm. because you can help that young, you know, being uh, that was neglected and was abused and and give her a lot of nurturance and love. Yeah. 
And it it makes us as adults feel better to know that, you know, that we had those experiences, even though they didn't happen in real life. Our, our brains can rewire things in a way where we can still maintain the historical narrative, but, but give ourselves the emotional nurturance and the, you know, the, 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 the healthy modeling. That's interesting. I'll have to think, I'll have to try that out. Yeah. It really works. Yeah. I'm going to share another, another technique. I was taught to me by one of my uh, teachers and mentors, Dan Brown, who does a lot of work with, with uh, people who have attachment disorders, insecure, disorganized attachment. He has them go back in, into moments in their childhood. Listen to this one. You're going to love mm -hmm. it. He asks them to remember a traumatic event, and then he asks them, I want you to imagine the ideal mother and the ideal father uniquely suited to your personality and what you would have wanted them to say or do. Yeah. And people like immediately using their imagination are like, they would be doing this, they would be doing that, they would do that, and da 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 da. And it's like, no one needs to tell them what they needed, mm -hmm. they they know. Yeah. But now they're generating a new scene in their mind instead of the abuse scene. When it, Now they're creating a new default setting for their memories where they're getting that nurturance and that love consistently and approval. And be a kid. <laughs> You're supposed to screw around and mess up and and have fun. Yeah. That's that's healthy and normal. Can you imagine being given that message when you were six and eight and eleven? Yeah, that would be that very feel nice. Great. Yeah, I think I was. I know again, I was neglected. My parents weren't there, but I had my dorm mates who I grew up with, and we were up to a lot of shenanigans together. So I have these joyful moments, and I honestly have a cadet friend who I grew up with who barely ever saw her parents too. Um, mm -hmm. and she's like, I honestly am, I like my childhood. It wasn't until I was in the Sea Org where she actually, where we were like, then that's at 14 years old, where then we're really, yeah. really put through the ringer. So there are, I, I'm lucky to say that even though it was not a good situation, um, I had my friends around me and I think that love from each yep. other for each other really, really is something because even to this day, we're so close and I, they're like my sister's. And even when I see the guys, like it's when we see each other, it's, you know, immediate rapport and we're just like joking around and hanging out. And so I think in some ways we are lucky that our school, even though we were being trained to be future CIRC members, we were left alone a lot because we were adults and small bodies. So that did lead to a <laughs> lot of like right. silliness and games in our dorms. Not to say it was all fun and games. Like I told the story about being right. on the ECG, there's still that. Um, but I think everybody's childhood is not necessarily perfect. Ours was not. And there's, it shouldn't happen this way. I'm just saying there right. are moments of joy that I hold on to that have helped me. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, and that's a message that it's all not all or nothing black and white, you know, good versus evil, et cetera. You want as a survivor to take out all the good joyful moments mm -hmm. all the relationships the experiences that are positive 
and use them and and appreciate them. Mm-hmm. I was an introvert, Catherine, before the Moonies. I w- was writing poetry. I was like having panic attacks mm-hmm. to if I had to read a poem to 20 students in the class. And I get into the cult and all of a sudden I'm speaking to large groups of people spontaneously. Mm-hmm. And when I got out, I was like, well, the real me was an introvert, but I like being able to speak spontaneously to large groups and feeling comfortable. And same with XJWs. They have to give lectures. They have to go out and proselytize and meet lots of strangers and get rejection. They become excellent salespeople. They become excellent professors and such because they had to have these experiences in the cult. So I think it's great. Yeah. Such a I good think point. It's, it's great to use all of those positive things and that you're not alone, that you have others who you can share stories with. Yeah. Um, my last um, podcast that came out, uh, Michelle Dowd was in this apocalyptic cult and she wrote this book about growing up on a mountain where the world was going to end in 1977 and, and et cetera. And when she wrote the book, other ex other people surfaced, yeah, and started sharing their memories and their stories. And she was had been walking around going, "Did that really happen, or was it really as bad as it was?" And then all these other people surfaced who she knew, mm-hmm. and they were like validating her, <laughs> and like, and we have more stories to share. And it was just very healing. It is. It's really beautiful. And that's something I've really gotten from this book because when you leave the, and Scientology and the Sea Org, there's such, are you a Scientologist or not? And you hold it close to your chest if you're not. So people wouldn't know. Like when my book came out, it was a shock because I never spoke out on Scientology. And I was honestly mm-hmm. going to do it anonymously. Oops, I'm sorry. Until I my good friend that I grew up with, who's a uh, cadet was like, I think you should just speak out and own it because it will, you'll feel better for it and you won't be afraid anymore. And it will help others too. And that was really empowering. And then actually it's so true because now that I've done it, I've had cadets reach out and they're like, I love this book. And one has literally said to me, this validated our life because sometimes you could feel so surreal that this happened. Now, you know, we're married, we have kids, we're living in the regular world, regular, that's what we called it, or the the real world. And having to, you don't talk about it really, because we're just like living. So to have it now in a book form was, has been for some of my friends really great. And then some of them have reached out and they're like, I want to do my own, like a graphic novel about this. I'm like, yes, like the more voices, the better. Uh, It's, it's cool to like, see it out there because it yeah it does validate your experience and it's just a way for people to process it too i think it's all the above and i i'm sure you've heard of i got out the hashtag i got out or is that something new okay so a group of us um after the me too Mm -hmm. like hashtag me too i was assaulted and it like real people started to realize how many people have been assaulted? Oh my goodness. Yeah. And it started then leading to accountability of the perpetrators and such, the Harvey Weinsteins um, and, and Jeffrey Epstein, et cetera. 
Um, so uh, uh, Jarette Brulian and Lisa Rich and others, uh, Sarah Edmondson, who, who was in the Nexium cult, uh, and myself and others were like, let's do an I got out and let's like normalize that smart, talented people can be in cults mm -hmm. and have a life afterward. Because frankly, there are millions of radicalized people in America right now who still think Trump is the Messiah and is doing God's will and won the election. And they're in mind control cults, mm -hmm. uh, in my professional opinion. So w let's destigmatize being in a cult and let's normalize it and let's name how do you identify the the you know the techniques like the bite model and the influence continuum. So check out igotout.org and I'm sure they would and and Jarette teaches people how to write their stories as a form of recovery so she's going to love to meet you and and talk with you. Yes, I will definitely about do that. that. Yeah. And and the other thing is, you know, I understand that you waited till your family was told by the cult that they couldn't talk with you and you were like, "Okay, well, there's nothing nothing uh to stop me now but i'm gonna put out there that you never know if you write a book and you do a podcast here or there and that your family members your sister your mom might have an authentic self moment and they might listen to it and then they might realize she's cool <laughs> she's doing well yeah you know, maybe there's something to learn here. Yeah, that would be cool. I know I, I did tell my mom I managed to reach her. Somebody connected me with her number. Somebody who heard me on an interview and they had recently left the Sea Org knew where she was because I did not know. So I was mm -hmm. able to talk with her. So I did tell her about the book, which is so I was, she was definitely shocked. Um, so maybe she will read it. And my brother and I are talking about showing up in L.A. to see if we can say hello <laughs> um but yeah it's we'll see but yeah having the book out I'm there i'm a is, big fan of doing what's within your control to do mm -hmm. and they may turn around and walk away so you know prepare yourself to be heard yeah if you have the you know expectations that don't include you know the possibilities but I really believe love is stronger than mind control. And if you if you approach them out of love mm -hmm. and they see the love in your heart and you want to hug them and stuff, I'm all for it. I really, you know, seriously, people are suffocating in these authoritarian cults. They're miserable. Yeah. But they're suppressing it. Mm -hmm. They're not allowing themselves to go, I'm not happy. I want to be with my daughter. I miss her. I love her. Yeah. You know, this group is keeping me from my daughter. I can like sneak and see my daughter. Mm -hmm. And then just that door opens a little bit. She sees you and then then she hears more of what you share. And it, the a cascade can happen pretty quickly too. Yeah. Yeah, I could see how that can be. I think that I was always so fearful to try that. But now I'm like, I'm understanding. I'm like, no, actually that would, that would be helpful to see my face and to... Because it's easy to shut somebody off if they're not even seeing you. You don't get a phone call or anything. So it's definitely something. I mean, I did finally get to call her. I actually literally could not call her. They don't have phones. <laughs> 
So yeah. that that part was just out of my control. And I live in a different state. So these were big yeah. barriers. My brother moved where I lived as well. The one that is still alive, he left the Sea Org. So, but I know I'm going to California soon. So that might be the perfect opportunity. So we'll see. So you know where they live, in other words. Yes. Are they in the blue building? They're not or? in the blue building anymore. So they're like a block off. And um, I won't t- say any more because I don't know who's listening. It's okay. <laughs> but but yeah. I, I, I want to just say again, you know, the idea of um, holding up signs mm-hmm. that might stimulate, you know, a person's authentic self. And I had a flash just now and I'll just share it, but, um, you know, may or may not fit for you. But you could like take a picture of you. Like Mm -hmm. you're very attractive and you're smiling and you can blow it up on a signboard. Mm -hmm. And I know friends in in LA who are ex-scientists who could be happy to stand around for a few hours just with your face. And if your mom saw it, it would be like, wow, what's that about? Yeah. Or your face and call me Mm -hmm. or I miss you or love you. Definitely something to think about. I have to definitely process these ideas. I have a friend who actually lives on that block, who's an ex-Scientologist, who um, it would be able to help if I... She's already done cool. like the stake by, like walk by walking her dog <laughs> with videoing. Great. So um, we're well, seeing what, what security is like and stuff as well. Okay. Mm-hmm. I'm an old friend, uh, uh, an old friend of mine, Tori Christman and I go back... 20 years. Do you know Tori? I don't. You know that? Oh, wait. I might have. Um, I think I actually chatted with her for for a little bit. She was like Magoo. one of the first ones on the message boards. Yeah. Exactly. She was sent when the internet was created to do all kinds of you know nefarious things. OT7 twice had epilepsy, was told she couldn't be on meds. Her mom threatened and Hubbard gave her permission to be on meds because he didn't want uh, the problems. Mm-hmm. But she's funny, and she's she's got a great sense of humor, and she's helped endless people get out. She does YouTube videos all the time, and she knows a lot of the celebrities and Spanky Taylor and others in the L.A. area and is always willing to help. Oh, cool. I'll have to check it out, yeah. too. That's awesome. De- definitely. So um, I'm excited to meet you. I want to congratulate you, the bad cadet. Thank you. I really growing appreciate up it. in the, the cult, oh, yeah, of, the cult Scientology. of Scientology. Sorry, I'm changing yeah. your subtitle, um, but I really think it should never have been given tax exemption status. That was a total fraud. Yeah, and a PR move, and they've made huge amounts of money mm-hmm. uh, because they tricked the IRS. Well, they sued the crap out of the IRS, right? The most they did a number of bad yeah. acts. Yeah, uh, but but you know the there was outright fraud in their application, and they don't do charity work. It's all about them making money for a corrupt, malignant narcissist in the name of David Miscavige, who had done his coup Mm -hmm. uh, after Hubbard died. Yeah. 
And, um, and I really want him to be held accountable. Him, that David, David Miscavige, because He sounds like he is a criminal. I just read Mark Healy's book, Blown for Good, about gold. Yes. And I had no idea the conditions are even more extreme at gold than they are where my parents are at PAC, where they're being treated mm -hmm. very inhumanely, worse than my parents are already overworked and everything, but at gold, being to sleep under their desks, being thrown in a place called the hole being abused, being yep. punched by David Miscavige. It's just so disgusting. Yep. It is, it's, it's, it's immoral and it should be, uh, it is illegal, mm -hmm. but it needs to be prosecuted. He needs to be criminally prosecuted. I agree. That would be huge. And maybe, I mean, everybody is coming out and we're like starting to discover things about, I mean, the LAPD, I feel like there should be something investigated there too. I was just, I'm going to do a podcast soon with Claire Headley about how Great. I, in my book, I actually blow, it's called, which is when you leave the Sea Org without permission and I get brought That's back. That's their word. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. I get brought back by uh, police because I'm underage. And there, I'm like, I know so many of my friends who did the same thing who were brought back by police. How come there wasn't an investigation? How come all these teenagers are leaving this place and being brought back at midnight or 11 p.m. and nothing happens. So that'll be an interesting conversation, but uh, with Claire. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, for the record, I've studied trafficking and I believe that the cult of Scientology labor traffics yeah. members, particularly staff and especially Sea Org mm -hmm. people. And um, they should get paid all for all the hours of unpaid labor that they did in, for the cult. Wouldn't that be cool? That would be spectacular. <laughs> yep. So any last words as we wrap up? I just want to wish you so much success. And oh, and check out the podcasts of, of people who were raised in the Moonies, who were born into the mass weddings. You might, oh my gosh. You might go, oh, wow. Yes, I'll have to check that really? out. Really? Yeah. <laughs> I did an interview with uh, Elgin, uh, who has a falling out podcast, I think is what he calls it. But um, there are many other ex-moonies now speaking out, and they have a website, How Well Do You Know Your Moon? <laughs> That's amazing. Uh, .tumblr.com. Yeah. So lots of stories yeah. about my former crazy cult. So thank you, and we'll be in touch. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Bye. Pleasure. Okay, bye. That's it for today's episode of The Influence Continuum. I've been your host, Dr. Stephen Hassan. Theme music for the podcast is by Nasser Malik. To keep up to date with me and happenings that I think are important, please visit my website at freedomofmind.com. There you'll find in-depth articles about cults, mind control, and other relevant topics. You can also find me on Twitter and Instagram at CultExpert. If you want to develop a comprehensive understanding of these topics, I highly recommend my books, Combating Cult Mind Control, Freedom of Mind, and The Cult of Trump in that order. These books are a culmination of 45 plus years of experience 
and will really help you grasp the complex web of undue influence. I have also launched a new nine-hour online course for anyone interested in a deep dive into issues related to recovering from undue influence in all forms. While this course is designed for clinicians, everyone can benefit. If you're a former member, I congratulate you for your bravery and invite you to use the hashtag IGOTOUT and join our online community at IGOTOUT.org. Remember, love is stronger than mind control. And thanks for listening.